What's up, everybody? This is the Booch, and this shout out goes to all of the members of the Booch Cast Nation. On behalf of the entire team and all of my affiliates, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts for your continued support of the Boochcast. Whether it's wrestling recaps, interviews, politics, variety shows, movie reviews, whatever episodes we come out with, you guys listen, you guys tune in, and you show your support. And it means the world to us. And we're going to commence with this latest episode in just a moment. But I want to take this opportunity right now to let you guys know something really huge that is going on in the world of the booch. I am now officially on Cameo. That's right. The Cameo. The same Cameo where celebrities go and give personal shout-out videos for all their fans. And I'm here to let you guys know that for the affordable price of just $25 you can get a personalized video from me on cameo and it can be for any occasion that you want you got somebody you want me to wish a happy birthday I'll make it happen you want me to congratulate someone on graduating high school or college I'll make it happen whether it's a happy holidays video it can be a gender reveal it can be somebody who needs some motivation you want the boots to motivate you or if you got somebody in your life that you want to break up with I'll help make the breakup happen or if you got somebody in your life that you want to tell to fuck off and you want it done booch style all you got to do is go to cameo.com slash booch 365 there'll be a link in the description box of every episode of the booch cast from now till the end of time go there book your video customize it however you want let me know how you want it done and i will make it happen for you so go to cameo.com slash booch365 right now and book your personalized video today for the affordable price of $25. And now, on with the show.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have once again another new classic pay-per-view review. Now, for those of you new to the show, how this works is we are giving you a classic pay-per-view review, but it is not a classic pay-per-view review that was archived from the old days of SoundCloud. This is a new classic pay-per-view review that is being recorded and posted here on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and I heart radio and how this works is basically what we do here is we analyze the classic pay-per-views from wwe wcw and ecw and i analyze them from the perspective of not just somebody who is a fan of wrestling but also from the perspective of someone who works in the business over the years i have been a ring announcer a commentator a manager in and out of the ring i've done street team shit that i pray to god i never have to fucking do again i've popped the popcorn i've worked management i've chauffeured wrestlers to and from the building I pretty much have the indie wrestling scene covered with my credentials. And this week, we are looking back at a classic pay-per-view known as WCW Slamboree 1993, a Legends reunion. Now, the reason I've chosen this episode for this week is for two reasons. One, it's a classic that was on a list that Gator provided for me before he, you know, left the show and now only makes cameo appearances. He was going to appear for this one, but then something came up and he couldn't make it, but also because this is the pay-per-view that followed Super Brawl 3, which is the classic review that I did last week. So since this was on the list and it precedes Super Brawl 3, I decided to do it for you guys here this week. Now, the reason this is called a Legends reunion is because there were legends in the wrestling business that made an appearance on this show. Now, keep in mind, this is 1993. So when you watch this show, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Vinny, technically all of these people are legends. True. All of these people are legends today. But the Legends reunion consisted of guys who were legends during this time, who were either retired or not working as much anymore. Because a lot of these guys that are on here, they weren't quite legends yet. They were still full-time, they were still in the business, and they were still building the legacies that we all know today. And they were doing a WCW Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which intrigued me because I had no idea that WCW even had a Hall of Fame, but apparently they do. And there was a lot of inductees from 1993 to 1995 was how long the WCW Hall of Fame lasted. And apparently they had uh, Luthez, Vern Gagne, Mr. Wrestling 2, Eddie Graham, Harley Race, Ernie Ladd, The Crusher, Dick the Bruiser, Ole Anderson, The Masked Assassin, Jody Hamilton, Wahoo McDaniel, Dusty Rhodes, Antonio Inoki, Angelo Poffo, Terry Funk, Big John Studd, and Gordon Soley are all WCW Hall of Fame inductees. However, the Hall of Fame obviously doesn't exist anymore because WCW doesn't exist anymore, and apparently these inductions did not carry over to the WWE Hall of Fame. Apparently, a lot of these guys had to get re-inducted into the Hall of Fame when WWE brought them in. Now, the legends who were honored at this Hall of Fame, since it's 1993, were Luthez, Mr. Wrestling 2, Bernie Gagne, and Eddie Graham. So they were the ones that were inducted this year. The other names I mentioned, they wouldn't come in till later. Now, Additionally, there were other legends that were honored, but they were honored during a legend ceremony. They were not inducted in the WCW Hall of Fame. And the legends that were honored
honored in the legend ceremony are Ole Anderson, the assassin, Ox Baker, Red Bastine, Lord James Blears, the crusher, the fabulous Moolah, Greg Gagne, Bob Geigel, Stu Hart, Magnum TA, Bugsy McGraw, Don Owen, Dusty Rhodes, Grizzly Smith, John Tolos, Mad Dog Vashon, and Johnny Valentine. So during a separate legend ceremony, these legends were honored for their accomplishments. And the event also saw the reformation of the four horsemen, which now consisted of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and a new member, Paul Roma. Apparently, uh, Tully Blanchard was not part of this new formation of the horsemen. And the reason they were reforming the four horsemen was because Super Brawl 3, as I mentioned last week, was when Ric Flair made his return to WCW after the stint he had in WWE. And of course, there were other changes that happened, but I will mention those throughout the show as not to step over anything that happened on the card. So all the stuff I'm talking about was stuff that happened away from the wrestling. And that's why I'm bringing it up now. And this is also the first ever Slamboree pay-per-view. And it took place on May 23rd, 1993, which ironically is also my brother's birthday. And it was at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. So this was here in Atlanta that this happened. There were 7,008 fans in attendance and the tagline was one moment, one ring, one mega event. Now, the commentators for this show were Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. So there was no Jesse Ventura on this particular one. I guess uh, Jesse, for whatever reason, uh, missed this show because he technically was still part of WCW. Jesse hadn't been let go yet. But for whatever reason, Jesse Ventura did not make this particular show. So Larry Zabisco took his place. And they also had Johnny Valentine as a guest commentator during the Dory Funk Jr. Nick Bockwinkle match, which I'll get to that a little later. Later in this review. And the uh, backstage interviewers were, of course, Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt. The ring announcer was the world's most dangerous ring announcer and a former guest here on the Boochcast, Gary Michael Capetta. The referees were Randy Anderson, Nick Patrick, and Mike Atkins. And the host of the Hall of Fame was Gordon Soley. So Gordon Soley was hosting the Hall of Fame induction ceremony that took place during the pay-per-view. So that's why, even though these matches weren't extremely long, the pay-per-view itself was still roughly two, three hours because they filled up the runtime with the Hall of Fame and the Four Horsemen and everything else that they did in addition to the wrestling because they did do some interviews. Bischoff and Missy did interviews with uh, a lot of the legends that were at the show kind of getting their thoughts on you know what was going on throughout the show and talking a little bit about their legendary careers and things of that nature. So right now we're going to get straight to it with our first official match of the evening. We got some tag team action the team of Too Cold Scorpio and Marcus Bagwell versus Bobby Eaton and Chris Benoit. Now, to my knowledge, based on what I've seen in these uh, pay-per-views, I believe this is the first pay-per-view match where Scorpio and Bagwell teamed up. Now, I'm sure they had TV matches, but obviously we're not reviewing the TV matches. We're only reviewing the pay-per-views here. So to my knowledge, this is the first pay-per-view where these two got together as a team because they weren't a team at Super Bowl III and and I don't see anything else with them teaming up prior to that. So I believe this is the first pay-per-view because I know at the last week pay-per-view, the one that I talked about the week before, uh, Bagwell teamed up with Eric Watts. So I'm assuming 
this tag team was formed soon after that. And of course, as we all know, Scorpio and Bagwell were tag team of the year for 1993, so I know they teamed up a lot during this uh, show. And I know, once again, this is the portion of the show where people are going to be like, Vinny, your bias is showing. And again, I'm going to say it. Look, I am not being biased about these matches just because Buff and I are friends. And I've managed his career, and we've toured together, and hopefully we'll tour together more this year. I'm not doing that, okay? I'm not playing favorites here. And I've even said this to Bagwell when we would travel to shows, is that when I do these classic pay-per-view reviews, I legit analyze them. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If Bagwell has had a bad match in his career in WCW, I have not seen it yet. I'm not saying he's never had one. I'm just saying so far, I haven't seen it. And I'm looking, and I'm the type of person and Bagwell knows this. He knows if I see one of his matches and it's the drizzling shits, I will say that. If he had a bad match, I would say something. I don't blow smoke when I do these pay-per-view reviews. I call it like I see it, and I have not seen Bagwell have a bad match. And guess what? He didn't have a bad match here either. Now, Benoit and Scorpio start things off, which is great to see considering they fought one-on-one at the last pay-per-view. At Super Bowl three. Scorpio and Benoit had a one-on-one match. So it was great to see them start things off. They lock up, and Scorpio gets a side headlock. Benoit shoots him off. Scorpio does a tackle. Benoit drops down, leapfrogs, then rolls back while Scorpio cartwheels. Benoit kips up, Scorpio goes for a spin kick, but Benoit ducks, mostly because he remembers last time, because they tried to do something similar to this with their chain wrestling, and last week, when we did Super Bowl three, Scorpio spin kicked Benoit and got him, so Benoit ducks, he's like, oh, that shit don't work twice, playboy. Now, obviously, I'm saying last week, because that was when I talked about this, but obviously, Super Brawl in 93 was a month ago, so these pay-per-views were not a week apart, they were a month apart, but if you hear me say last week, it's because I reviewed this last week, so it's last week in my mind. Benoit bounces off the ropes and slides in between Scorpio's legs. Benoit trips him up, but Scorpio uses his legs to overpower and flip Benoit. Now, for some reason, this just doesn't seem like a believable move to me. And I've seen this spot done a lot in this pay-per-view and in others um, in early wrestling. And I'm sorry, I can't believe that his legs are strong enough to flip somebody like that. It doesn't look like a believable move to me. Maybe someday if Gator comes on and he sees that, maybe he can explain it to me. But I'm sorry, that move looks stupid to me and I don't like it. Scorpio then nails a drop kick. Scorpio follows up with a hip toss. Benoit heads over to the corner to slow things down. And I love that because too much chain wrestling can leave the fans confused. They need time to register. And that's an ongoing issue in modern wrestling. Is everybody's, everything is so fast-paced. Boom, 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 boom. The audience doesn't have time to process or follow what you're doing. They can't keep up. So at some point, that's why you have rest holds. That's why you have certain spots. you got to slow things down a little bit so people have time to register. So they have time to pop. So they have time to process what the fuck you're doing before you move on. Because eventually, they're going to... They're going to forget what you did earlier because everything moves so fast. So they're going to remember X, Y, and Z from the match. You want them to remember everything or as much as possible and follow along. Benoit goes after Bagwell and he tries to get in the ring, but the ref backs him off. Meanwhile, Bobby clubs Scorpio in the back and he and Benoit get Scorpio in the corner and shoot him off, but he jumps onto the turnbuckle and tries to jump over Bobby, but he trips over him and lands awkwardly. But then quickly goes after Benoit, who ducks out of the way and then Scorpio jumps onto the other turnbuckle and then hits Benoit with a crossbody. I love that Benoit ducked the clothesline, 
but I hated that he stood there and waited for the crossbody. Again, it looks fake if you're standing there waiting too long. That's why moves like that have to be fluid. You gotta hop up and you just gotta jump. Because if you stand there too long to catch, then it looks phony. Because it's like, why are you waiting to catch somebody you don't like? I know some people are gonna go, and I know, again, I know people are gonna say shit like, it's all about safety. I know it's all about safety, but the crowd is not supposed to know that. That's the key thing I'm, I'm trying to explain to people here is we're not supposed to know that. We're supposed to believe the two people in the ring hate each other and want to hurt each other. You should not care about the safety of somebody you want to hurt. So again, protect your opponent, but don't make it blatantly obvious. Do a sleight of hand so we don't think that's what's happening. Scorpio goes for a cover and Bobby drops an elbow, but Scorpio moves out of the way and the elbow hits Benoit. Bagwell gets in and hits a drop kick on Bobby and Scorpio hits a drop kick on Benoit. They called it a double drop kick. First of all, it's a stereo drop kick. Okay? That's the difference. There's stereo drop kick, double drop kick. There's double choke slam, and there's stereo choke slam. Stereo means two guys are in the ring, and you hit one guy, and you hit the other. That's stereo. Double means two guys hitting one person. A double drop kick would be if Bagwell and Scorpio each did a drop kick, and both hit Bobby Eaton with the drop kick, or both hit Benoit with the drop kick. That's a double drop kick. If Bagwell's hitting one guy, and Scorpio's hitting another guy, that's not a double team move. And people keep fucking this up, and I don't know why it's a stereo drop kick and second of all the timing was off for it to be a double anything because their timing was off on that either scorpio or benoit was a second too late so it wasn't a double team because it wasn't going to be a double team as happened the exact same time and it didn't happen now maybe to the untrained eye it looked like it happened at the same time but as i mentioned before my eyes are well trained that's how i'm able to catch this shit bagwell gets out of the ring while benoit and bobby get back in the ring and benoit tags in bobby bobby and scorpio lock up and scorpio puts on a hammer lock and tags in Bagwell. Scorpio pulls the arm out for Bagwell to hit it with an axe handle and then Bagwell works the arm with wrist control and a modified arm bar. Bobby shoots him off but Bagwell hits the tackle and bounces off the ropes but Benoit clubs him in the back and holds him so Bobby can run at him but Bagwell back body drops him out of the ring. Not a DQ because technically Bagwell didn't throw him over the top rope. And again... I love the clarification of this to the audience at home because back then in 1993 in WCW, throwing someone over the top rope was considered a disqualification in the old school days of wrestling. But you had to throw them over the top rope. So if you flip somebody over, that wasn't a DQ. You had to actually grab them and throw them out of the ring for it to count. If they launch themselves out of the ring, that's on them. Bagwell elbows Benoit and then flips him into the ring. Bagwell and Scorpio Irish whip Benoit into Bobby who falls off the apron. Bagwell with forearm shots and then a drop kick that sends Benoit out of the ring. Bobby gets back in the ring. Bobby and Bagwell lock up and Bagwell works the arm into a hammerlock. Bobby reverses it and then shoots Bagwell off and then drops down and Benoit clubs Bagwell in the back again. Bobby then throws him over the top rope, but the ref was distracted by Benoit and therefore didn't see it. Another key thing. Bagwell gets back in the ring and Bobby hits a scoop slam and Bobby does a flying knee off the top rope onto the chest. Now they said if he had landed on his throat, it would have been a DQ and I don't know why. I don't know why that would be a disqualification. Someone may need to explain that to me too. Like this is, there are certain things that WCW announcers are do, do a good job of explaining, but some shit they don't do a good job of explaining. And that was something I need to know. Why the, the knee to the throat would be a DQ. I, I don't know why. 
Bobby then tags in Benoit, who nails a right hand, then shoots Bagwell off and hits a vicious clothesline. He then stomps him and, is, and hits another vicious right hand. Bagwell responds with a kick to the gut, but Benoit regains control by hitting him back. Benoit hits a scoop slam, and then a leg drop off the middle rope for a two count. Benoit tags in Bobby and then holds Bagwell while Bobby hits a shot to the midsection. Bobby drops multiple knees on him and then covers him for a two count. Bobby then chokes Bagwell with the middle rope. The ref backs him off and then Benoit uses his knee to continue choking Bagwell while the ref is distracted. Scorpio tries to come in and the ref backs him down. Bobby tags in Benoit and then holds Bagwell so Benoit can get a good kick to the midsection and then Bobby clubs Bagwell in the back. Benoit picks up Bagwell for back suplex and gets a two count. Bagwell fights up, but Benoit hits a snapmare and then a figure four to the head. Bobby holds his hands for leverage and the ref doesn't see. Scorpio tries to point it out, but they don't get caught in the act. Benoit hits a rude awakening, but only gets a two count. And it's not Rick Rude, so it's okay for Bagwell to kick out like that. So I'm okay with Bagwell kicking out of the rude awakening because technically Rick Rude did not hit it. Now, if it was Rick Rude that hit that, Bagwell would have no business kicking out of that. But since it was Benoit, it's okay. Benoit picks him up and nails a scoop slam. He then goes up top and goes for the flying headbutt, but Bagwell gets the knees up to stop it. Bagwell drives himself to the corner and gets the hot tag to Scorpio. Scorpio kicks Benoit in the gut and punches him repeatedly as he comes in like a house of fire. Bobby comes in and Scorpio knocks him down and sends him into the corner and Bagwell attacks Bobby in the corner and Scorpio hits a back body drop and goes up top for a splash, but Bobby breaks up the pin. Bagwell goes after Scorpio in the corner and then Benoit clubs him in the back and holds him. Bobby goes for a right hand, but Bagwell breaks free and Bobby hits Benoit. Bagwell then waist locks Bobby and they go flying through the ropes out of the ring and Scorpio hits a flipping leg drop off the top rope onto Benoit for the pin and the win. Now the thing that bothered me about this particular finish was the fact that Bobby hit the ref multiple times while times and the ref didn't stop counting. That doesn't make sense to me. Literally he's getting in the ring he's practically hitting the ref while trying to get into the ring, and the ref just keeps on counting. See, I was under the impression if you hit the ref or you touched anybody, that broke up a pin or stopped a pin. Now, obviously, this is meant to be the finish, but to me, that looks stupid, so I didn't like that. Bobby's hitting the ref, and the ref just keeps counting. Either Bobby fucked up, or this ref doesn't know how to do his fucking job, but that finish just looked eh to me in that regard. I mean, Scorpio's flipping leg drop looked great, so I like the execution of his part in the finish. I just feel like Bobby and the ref, they weren't on the same fucking page, so I took it issue with that but overall this is a great tag team match again this is i think the first pay-per-view for scorpio and bagwell as a team it'll be the first of many times that these guys would team up throughout the year because like i said they won tag team of the year and at one point they were the wcw tag team champions because they defended the belts at halloween havoc 93 which we talked about a few months back so obviously you know they were established tag team and did it very very well together and it was great to see and this match was nine minutes and 22 seconds and on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We've got Van Hammer versus Sid Vicious with Robert Parker. Now, at first, Van Hammer's in the ring. Colonel Robert Parker comes out. He grabs the mic and says to Van Hammer, Hammer, you remember just a few short weeks ago, you and I had a disagreement. You came over to me, and you physically assaulted me, bruising my feelings. I told you then, that's the biggest mistake you was ever going to make in your entire life. I also told you that you could drive your taxi cab or get you another way down here because I had your ride on the way home. Bring that gurney on down here. Come on, boys, get it on down here for them. And they're bringing out a gurney. Bring that right up here. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you now at 300 pounds from Memphis, Tennessee. All of you get up on your feet in a show of respect for the man that rules the world, Sid Vicious. 
Get that gurney over here a little closer. We don't want to have to hold his carcass. Get the gurney over here closer. I don't want to be holding the carcass as far as they got to take it here. And during all this, Sid Vicious is walking to the ring. So this was the return of Sid Vicious to WCW. That's basically what happened here. This is the return of Sid to WCW. As he had a short stint in the WWE, he was there for a while, and then he left now to come back here. As I believe that was, you know, after WrestleMania 8, where Sid Vicious had the match with uh, Hogan. So now, Sid's back in WCW. Sid kicks him in the gut, and then goes for a punch, but Hammer blocks it and throws a punch of his own. Sid kicks him in the gut, hits a clothesline, he then hits the powerbomb for the win. So this was basically a squash match. This match was basically designed to get the big return pop for Sid Vicious. Because Sid was making his return to WCW. So they wanted to do something really, really big. Which is kind of cool considering Ric Flair had made his return at the last pay-per-view. So now Sid Vicious is returning here. And obviously, you know, people have things they say about Sid Vicious. Good, bad, or indifferent. Not the best promo in the world. You know, botched a bunch of his promos over the years. But as a worker, he was relatively good. And he was a big man. He wrestled like a big man. He did what a big man's supposed to do. And Van Hammer, he wasn't really that big of a star. And from what Gator has said many, many times before, he's a reckless, sloppy, unsafe worker. And again, that's Gator's thoughts, not mine. I don't know too much about Van Hammer to make that assumption. But I have to watch more of his matches before I can make that assumption on my own, but Gator is an expert in the area, so I do take his advice on that as well. I factor that in. But overall, it was all about Sid Vicious getting the pop. Coming out, hitting a couple moves, get in, get out. You want to see more of Sid Vicious? Wait and see. And this match, ladies and gentlemen, was literally 35 seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We have a six-man tag team match, a Legends six-man tag team match, with the team of Dick Murdoch, Don Morocco, and Jimmy Snuka versus Wahoo McDaniel, Blackjack Mulligan, and Jim Brunzel. Now, before I get into this match, I'm going to be brutally honest here, ladies and gentlemen. There are six Legends in this match. I have only heard of five of them. Prior to this match, I had no fucking idea who Jim Brunzel is. I have never heard this name. I am not familiar with this gentleman. I don't mean this in a negative derogatory way. I'm just saying I don't know him. Apparently he was trained by Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson. And apparently he was a member of the Killer Bees tag team with Brian Blair in the WWE. So that's how most of the big name stars know him. But the rest of them I've heard of. Dick Murdoch, heard of him many times, never really seen him wrestle. Don Morocco, heard that name many years. Jimmy Snuka, knew him, met him, got to interview him on The Regular Guys. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel, definitely heard that name. And I'm also familiar with Blackjack Mulligan as well. Heard that name multiple times. So, Snuka and Brunzel start things off. They lock up and force each other against the ropes, and Snuka pushes him off. Now, Larry mentions a rumor about Morocco stealing Brunzel's girlfriend. Uh, I'm not quite sure if that's true or not, but don't know why Larry felt the need to bring that up. So they lock up, and Brunzel gets a hammer lock. Snooker reverses it, and Brunzel counters with a drop toe hold and goes to work on the arm. He twists it and then tags in Mulligan. Mulligan twists the arm again and gets a wrist lock as he walks him around the ring and twists the arm again. Murdoch reaches over the ropes and pulls Mulligan's hair and elbows him to break the hold. Snooker tags in Murdoch, and he kicks and punches Mulligan and then gets a side headlock. Mulligan shoots him off, and Murdoch hits a tackle, bounces off the ropes. Mulligan drops down and then nails a hip toss. 
Mulligan nails an arm drag and then tries to tag in Wahoo and Wahoo shoots him away. What the fuck was that? That's not even your own corner. That that was just dumb. I'm sorry. That was a really dumb spot. You're trying to tag somebody in somebody else's corner. And it's not that you're woozy or dazed. I ain't buying that shit. There's no way you're woozy enough to think that your corner is right there. So that spot just looked really stupid, dumb, and unnecessary. They lock up and Murdoch knees Mulligan in the midsection and then punches him in the back of the head. He elbows the top of his head, Dusty style, like the bionic elbow, and then hits a right hand and then a snapmare for a two count. Murdoch steps out of the ring, but Wahoo forces him back into the ring. Mulligan tags in Wahoo and Murdoch tags in Morocco. So now we got two tags going on. They lock up and Wahoo gets a side headlock. And apparently this is where they mentioned that Murdoch was an underwater photographer before he got in the business. Now, I don't know why they felt the need to say that, but I'm not going to lie. That was intriguing. Okay, underwater photography. That's obviously a job. That's a gig. It's kind of cool. And, it is, and I guess it is nice to know what kind of shoot jobs wrestlers had before they got in the business or whatever they did on the side if they had to supplement their income or whatever. Although, technically, these legends, they didn't really have day jobs or shoot jobs. They worked in the business and that was it. Like, these old timers were back in the day where wrestling was all you did. You lived and died by it. Morocco reverses it and Wahoo shoots him off and Wahoo is a chop. Now, Wahoo McDaniel was well known for his chops. Like, people talk about, when they talk about chops, they talk about, you know, Ricky Steamboat or Ric Flair. Wahoo had the best in the business. Wahoo McDaniel was the king of giving chops. He gave them properly and did them very, very well and were also very aggressive. So Wahoo was one of the guys that was well known for his chops. Wahoo hits, a, hits multiple scoop slams and then crawls to his corner to recover. He gets up and locks up and he forces him into the corner and Murdoch and Snooka choke Wahoo in the corner. Now the ref is distracted by Brunzel trying to get in the ring, so that's why they're able to get away with this. Morocco hits a throat shot to Wahoo and tags in Murdoch. Murdoch elbows Wahoo and then Murdoch chops him as Wahoo tries to fight out with chops of his own. Murdoch sends Wahoo into the corner where Morocco and Snooka continue to hold and choke him. Wahoo fights with punches to the midsection and then works the arm and tags in Brunzel. Wahoo shoots him off and Brunzel nails a drop kick. Brunzel gets a side headlock and Murdoch shoots him off and Brunzel hits a tackle and bounces off the ropes. And Murdoch responds with a hip toss. Murdoch then nails a flying head scissors. And that's when everybody woke the fuck up in this match. The timing on this was perfect on both sides. Murdoch got up there perfectly. Brunzel turned into it. He didn't stand there waiting. The timing was perfect. And I was shocked that this fat fuck could jump that high and flip. Now, Larry said once, an athlete is always an athlete, and he said it moments before this happened. He's like, you know, an athlete is always an athlete, no matter how old you are, and as soon as he said that, boom, we see Murdoch hit this flying head scissors, and the fact that that old fat fuck, and I say that lovingly, was able to leap that high, get that head scissor, and take him down was amazing, and because this didn't happen 100,000 times in those days, when it does happen, the crowd gets crazy, so that was very well done. Brunzel responds with an arm drag, and then a modified armbar and I love that they went to something basic to let the head scissor shot register like look we're gonna, gonna lock you in and hold you here for a bit so the crowd can re- register the big move that just happened they didn't go from one big move to another big move to another and another and another and another and another they let it register let the fans keep up keep them engaged Murdoch fights up and Brunzel shoots him off and locks in a sleeper hold and Murdoch forces him into his team's corner and Snooka helps free Murdoch as they double team him behind the ref's back. Murdoch punches him in the face and stomps on him and then tags in Morocco. 
Morocco hits a power slam and multiple leg drops. Morocco gets a front face lock on Brunzel, who powers through and tags in Wahoo. Morocco forces him back to his corner, and the ref didn't see Wahoo's tag. Snooka holds Brunzel. Morocco goes for a clothesline, but Brunzel moves out of the way, and he hits Snooka by mistake. He tags in Morocco and tries to apologize to Snooka. So they're like trying to get on the same page. It was an accident. They're like, all right, all right, all right. Let's just focus on the match. Murdoch hits a swinging netbreaker for a two count. Murdoch Irish whips him into the corner and goes up top and drives his knee into Brunzel off the top rope. And he hits an elbow drop, but Mulligan and Wahoo break up the pin. And it looked like a half-ass breakup. Wahoo could at least grab the leg instead of swatting at it. Plus, I was grossed out by Murdoch's 69 pin attempt. Like, he's pinning him where his crotch is on the dude's face and his face is in the dude's crotch. Like, come on, man. Don't do that 69 pin attempt. Pin him like a normal fucking person. Chest on chest, hook the fucking leg. For Christ's sake, that's disgusting. And even if I was gay, I would say that's disgusting because it's old people doing this shit. So anyway, Wahoo did a half-assed fucking breakup there, and I hate that. Oh, I'm going to come in and just tap your leg. No, grab the leg. Pull. Dive on them. Do something. Don't just swat the leg and then they're, oh, we're going to stop the pin. That's pussy shit. Morocco gets tagged in and Irish wits Brunzel. He ducks the clothesline, nails a crossbody for a two count. Morocco tags in Snooka, finally. God, Snooka barely wrestled in this match. Who stomps on Brunzel, hits a scoot slam, and misses the knee drop. Brunzel gets an inside cradle for a two count. Snooka forces Brunzel to Morocco, who holds him while Snooka chops it. Snooka goes for a running chop, but Brunzel moves out of the way again, and Snooka nails Morocco by mistake. So Morocco gets in the ring and they get into a shoving match while Murdoch weighs at them to stop. And this part I thought was fucking stupid. Morocco's like, guys, stop. Get in the ring and try to separate them. What the fuck do you think waving is going to do? Like you're going to go, hey guys, I'm waving my hand. Stop fighting. Oh, oh, well, he's waving his hand. Okay, well, we'll stop fighting here. Fuck that. Get in the ring. Separate them. Play a little peacemaker. Talk it out. Hey, stop. It isn't worth it. Stop. It isn't worth it. Get in the middle. Do something. Fucking break them up. Get them back on the same page. Get their fucking heads back in the game or match. Brunzel rolls up Morocco and Wahoo rolls up Snooker and the ref counts and they both kick out at two. This is another fucking stupid spot because no legal men were involved in the pin attempts. This spot was stupid and it made the legends look like morons. Literally, you have no legal men being pinned here. Last I checked, there's a legal man that's supposed to pin another legal man. And you can't tell me the ref throws the rule book out the window because he's been maintaining the rules throughout this whole fucking match with backing people out of the ring when too many people are in there. Dumb fucks. Meanwhile, Mulligan knocks Murdoch out of the ring. All the legends start brawling around the ring, and the ref calls for the bell and declares it a no contest. Wahoo shoots off Snooka and chops him, and then Snooka jumps over the top rope and hits his head on the table outside. This was a stupid, unnecessary spot that looked dumb as fuck. And I'm actually ashamed of Snooka for doing this. Because this is the type of shit I would expect from AEW. From the reckless spot monkeys in there who constantly injure themselves and each other because they're all sloppy, reckless, and unsafe. I don't expect this from respected legends in the business. So that's why it really makes me angry. Because I actually expect better from them. When it happens at AEW, it's just sad. Because I expect AEW people to botch. I expect AEW people to fuck up in matches. I expect people to get injured. Because I already know what I what AEW does. It takes reckless indie darlings and puts them on network TV and make the business look like a joke. These are guys who actually respect the business, so I expect better from them. And Snooka was a dumbass for doing that. You did 
it, it did not need to happen. You easily could have took the chop, took a bump, rolled out of the ring, whatever, but that spot was fucking dumb. And overall, the match was, like I said, it was a match. It was legend, so it was very basic, which is fine. I don't mind basic wrestling. It's what wrestling is supposed to be, to a degree. The flying head scissor thing was a great moment, but because you didn't see 100,000 of those, it made that one moment feel special in the match. And that's something I'll definitely remember. And the next time I ever see Dick Murdoch in a classic match, I'll be able to respect him a lot more. Because, you know, like I said, that was a beautiful thing. He was like that at this old fat fuck age. I can only imagine how great he was younger and in his prime. And this match was nine minutes and six seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We got some tag team action. Another Legends match here. We got Thunderbolt Patterson and Brad Armstrong versus Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Rasky. Now, they come out to the ring, Ivan and Baron. Thunderbolt Patterson comes out. Patterson grabs the mic and says, Excuse me, they tell me that Bob has got a bad operation on his knee. So it don't make no difference to me. I will kick both of you except that. So basically, Bullet Bob Armstrong was originally supposed to be uh, Thunderbolt Patterson's tag team partner. But apparently, Bob Armstrong had to have some surgery and was unable to make the show. Ivan grabs the mic and says, You want to take us both on? It's very obvious that they should have never called him the Armstrong. It should have been called Weak Stomach. Because all the Armstrongs have been cowards all their career. And then Baron grabs the mic and says, They're nothing but cowards. There's nothing wrong with Brad Armstrong. Bring him out here, yellow belly cowards. And all of a sudden, Brad Armstrong comes out to the ring. And he gets the mic and says, Now hang on just a second. You're talking about somebody who's hurt. You're talking about an Armstrong. Well, by gosh, I'm an Armstrong. And I'm from right here in the heart of Atlanta. And I'll tell you something. One Armstrong's hurt. I'm not hurt. I'll do it right now. I'd be more than proud to be this man's partner any day of the week. So, Brad Armstrong comes out to team up with Thunderbolt Patterson. And I still found it weird to hear somebody go, by gosh. <laughs> you would never fucking hear that in wrestling today. <laughs> Uh, that's how you know you're dealing with a legends moment or an older person when they say things like, by gosh, golly gee willikers. Oh, pussy feathers. Sassafras, sassafras, sassafras. Like they just say all these like old sayings that you would never hear today. Good heavens. Like just funny shit like that. I like that. So Patterson grabs the mic and says, hey, yo, take your shirt off, baby. Look at here. Take your shirt off and let's kick some butt. Okay. Now this is my first time seeing Thunder. Bolt Patterson in a wrestling ring. This dude is 50 shades of fucking weird. Okay? This is the weirdest dude i ever seen just yelling at somebody randomly to take your shirt off. I don't know why he needs to take his shirt off. Uh, I don't know if maybe uh, Matthew McConaughey had Thunderbolt Patterson in his family tree or something. Well, you know, alright, alright, alright. I just thought it'd be uh, nice in this ring if we could take our shirts off. I, I think that'd be co pretty cool. Pretty cool. Take our shirts off. So, um... Brad takes his shirt off, and they start fighting. Patterson goes after Baron, and Brad goes after Ivan. Ivan takes down Brad and starts wailing on him. Patterson knocks Baron over the top rope, and he lands on the apron, and Patterson drags him back in by his hoodie. Meanwhile, Brad turns around and starts wailing on Ivan, while Patterson chokes Baron against the middle rope. Brad shoots off Ivan, then hits him with a back body drop. 
Brad nails a drop kick while Patterson beats up Baron in the corner. Brad sends Ivan out of the ring onto the entrance ramp. Brad then knocks Baron out of the ring while Patterson takes out Ivan, who gets back in the ring. Ivan rolls out of the ring as he and Baron try to regroup. Patterson takes off his shirt to start things off with Baron. The ref separates him a few times and Patterson kindly moves the ref to the other side of the ring. Then Patterson and Baron lock up and Baron goes for a side headlock, but Patterson slides right out. He tries again and Patterson slides right out and he's moving around the ring like a junkie. Now, I'm not trying to say anything derogatory when I say that. I don't know if Thunderbolt Patterson did drugs or not. He's an old school wrestler, so my guess would be yes, he has, but I can't say for sure. I just know the way he's moving around the ring, he's got that junkie itch or that weird move. It's just weird. I'm looking at him like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Maybe I need to grow up with Patterson to understand why his gimmick is the way it is, but I'm seeing it and it's just weird and creepy. I don't hate him. It's just creepy. Baron gets frustrated and tags in Ivan. They lock up and Patterson gets the arm, does a dance, twists it again, and then tags in Brad. Brad goes up to the middle turnbuckle and clubs the arm as he's coming back down. Brad twists the arm, but Ivan fights out. Ivan hits a snapmare and then a leg drop. He rakes the back and then chokes him down before tagging in Baron. And they shoot Brad off and hit double elbows. Baron grabs the hair and slams him into the turnbuckle. Baron shoots him off and then locks in the claw. Patterson breaks it up and then Baron tags in Ivan and then Brad tags in Patterson. Patterson nails Ivan with the rabid mystifier and then takes down Baron. So apparently Patterson has a series of combo moves called the rabid mystifier. Brad comes in and Patterson and Brad Irish whip Ivan and Baron into each other. Brad attacks Ivan in the corner and nails the 10 punches. Patterson headbutts Baron and shoots him off and then nails a throat shot and pins him for the win. So Patterson and Armstrong win the match. Overall, I would say it was a decent match. You know, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just there. And like I said, Patterson looked a little weird, but the match still looked good. Brad Armstrong wrestled incredibly. I didn't see a lot of bad moves or flaws in this match. So it did its job. It was very well done. You know, it was decent. And most importantly, the match was 4 minutes and 39 seconds. So with the exception of the squash match from Sid Vicious, this is the second shortest match of the evening. And in my opinion, it didn't need to go any longer than this. They did everything they needed to do. They got the crowd excited. That's all that matters. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. Dear God, help us all. We have another Legends match. There's a lot of Legends matches on here. So not only was there a Hall of Fame and a Legends ceremony, but a lot of these guys were able to get in the ring and work. We got Dory Funk Jr. with Gene Kanitsky versus Nick Bockwinkle with Vern Gagne. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is the part of the show where I'm glad Gator canceled on me. Because I know for a fact if Gator had joined me for this review of this match, I would not be allowed to speak. I would not get a word in edgewise. It would be similar to what happened when we reviewed Starcade 85. Because Gator accuses me of being biased when it comes to Bagwell matches. But when it comes to old school legends and Southern wrestling, there is nobody more biased than Gator Ricky Ross. Because like I said before, I say it again, I call bullshit no matter where I see it. Doesn't matter what it is. Whether it's old school pay-per-views like this, new school pay-per-views like we see today, doesn't matter what three letters are there, I call it like I see it. If it's great, I acknowledge the greatness. If it's shit, I acknowledge that it's shit. I don't play favorites. And in this match, oh boy, here we go. They lock up, and Dory tries to force Nick into the corner, but he slips, and the hole breaks. That looked sloppy. They lock up again, and Nick breaks out. That looked better. So the second time looked better than the first. 
They lock up again, and Dory goes to take the arm, but Nick breaks out again. Dory goes for the leg, Nick moves out of the way, and Dory hits the ground. I'm sorry, but I gotta say this. Dory Funk Jr. looks old, sad, and pathetic in this match. And I'm gonna clarify this before I go any further. I understand that Dory Funk Jr. is a legend in the business. And I'm sure if I saw matches from the earlier years when he was in his prime, I'm sure Dory Funk Jr. had incredible matches. I'm sure he's one of the all-time greats. I know he went into the Hall of Fame with Terry Funk many years ago, and I'm sure he deserved it. And also, as most people know, I am not the type of person that shits on wrestlers for being too old to get into a ring. I've always said, if you can still go, I don't care how old you are. We have a lot of old people technically in the business, but they can still go, they can still work, and a lot of these old timers are able to get back in the ring because as I mentioned many, many, many times before, they have the ability to use psychology and storytelling to get good reactions from the crowd by not having to do a whole lot of crazy, flashy, stupid shit. That's the problem with new age wrestling. The guys today don't have that psychology and storytelling, so the day they can no longer flip is the day they outlive their usefulness in the wrestling business. So it's rare for me to say that somebody is too old to wrestle and needs to hang it up. I very seldom say that because I know a lot of guys who no matter how old they are, they have the power to keep going because of their psychology and their storytelling. Sadly, Dory Funk Jr. is not one of those people because he looked horrible in this match. This is one of the rare moments where I agree some old timers need to hang it up and Dory Funk Jr. in 1993 definitely needed to hang it up. He looked terrible in this match. Nick Bockwinkle looks great. Nick looked incredible. Nick looked like he could have had a few more years left in it. Dory looked sad. I'm sorry, but he did. Dory goes over to Gene to talk strategy. Dory locks up with Nick and knees him in the gut. Dory then nails an uppercut. Nick responds with a forearm shot. They lock up, and Dory again knees him in the gut and then nails an uppercut. Nick nails another forearm shot. Dory gets a side headlock, moves to the other side, and puts on a hammerlock. Nick quickly reverses it and takes Dory down to the ground. Nick keeps it on as Dory fights up back to his feet. Dory forces him into a corner, breaks free, and hits a series of uppercuts. Dory does a snapmare into some kind of neck hold. The snapmare looks sloppy as shit. Nick fights up and hits shots to the midsection, and then Dory takes him back down, but Nick uses his legs to fight out and puts a leg lock on Dory's head. Dory tries to kip up, but Nick holds on. Dory does a handstand and flips out, which is the most athletic thing he's done thus far. That's the one good, shining moment that Dory Funk had in this match up to this point. They lock up, and Nick puts on a modified armbar. Dory hits a scoop slam. Nick hits a double boot to the face. Nick gets up and hits a scoop slam of his own, and Dory rolls out of the ring. Finally, some excitement. So now they've kind of built everything up and they've been kind of plain. Now they're starting to get, oh crap, now we're getting excited. Dory gets back in the ring and they lock up. Nick locks in a modified armbar. Dory shoots him off and nails an elbow and hits multiple uppercuts. Goes for a cover, but Nick gets his foot on the rope. Not sure why that needed to happen. I don't think we needed to see that. I think that should only happen if you hit your finisher. So unless that was his finish, there was no reason for the foot on the rope. That just looked kind of dumb. You could have kicked out. Nick fights up as Dory as a side headlock. He breaks it off in the corner and they trade blows until Nick gets the upper hand with multiple forearms. Dory falls over and Nick goes for a cover, but the ref doesn't count because they're too close to the ropes. Gene pulls Nick out of the ring and Nick walks past him to get back in the ring. Nick and Dory lock up and Dory gets a front face lock and takes him down. Good old school wrestling move. 
I like that. That was very old school. Looked like amateur wrestling to me. Enjoyed that spot. Nick tries to get a pin, but Dory kicks out and goes for one of his own before the hole breaks, and Nick trips him up and goes for a Boston Crab, and Dory powers out with his legs. This spot still looks fake to me. I'm sorry, but it does. This looks incredibly fake to me. And it's even sadder that Dory's doing it because his legs do not look like they're strong enough to power out of a move. I'm surprised this some bitch can still walk. Gene and Nick lock up, and Nick gets a side headlock, but Dory hits a belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. Dory gets a modified armbar and Nick goes down to one knee and then all the way down to the floor. Dory then grabs both arms. At one point, Dory is on his knees with his ass up and Dory is standing there right behind him so it looks like elderly porn. Yeah, I'm sorry. That looked gross to me because I don't know if you've ever seen in a porno where a guy's fucking a girl from behind. He grabs both her arms while you're still while you're aggressively fucking her. That's what it looked like in that moment, that that particular part of the match. It looked like elderly porn. It was disgusting. Nick tries to turn around, but Dory maintains control of the arms. Nick tries again, but Dory hangs on until Nick finally reverses it. Nick finally drops down and kicks him off. They lock up, and Nick gets a side headlock, and Dory forces him into the corner and hits forearm shots to the midsection to break free. And it's an uppercut, but Nick reverses and hits multiple forearm shots and a snapmare for a two count. Nick then grabs a chin lock. Dory fights up, and Nick switches to a headlock, and Dory goes for the leg, but Nick applies the pressure. Dory knees him in the gut to break free and then uppercuts him out of the ring. Dory hits stiff right hand and then Dory suplexes him into the ring for a two count. Gene tried to stop it, but the ref backed him off. Dory hits a pile driver and goes for the cover, but Nick gets his foot on the ropes. Now it makes sense. Makes sense that time. A pile driver is devastating. That is grounds for putting your foot on the ropes. Dory goes for a double underhook, but Nick fights out and gets a backslide for a two count. He struggled to get there, and I love they built it up. I've never seen that before with a backslide. Usually the person just slides right down, or it's a small struggle and goes down. That was a long struggle. Like, they dragged that shit out, and it looked very cool. I enjoyed that. I'm not going to lie. I heavily enjoyed that part of the match. Dory shoots him off and hits an elbow shot and locks in a spinning toe hold. Nick rolls him up with a cradle, but Dory kicks out at two. Nick takes him down and locks in a figure four, but Gene stomps on him, and Dory makes the ropes, forcing the break. Vern asks for a DQ, but the ref is choosing not to. Why is he choosing not to? That's clearly a disqualification. Call for the bell. To me, that's stupid. What is the point in having rules in a match if you're not going to enforce them? That's fucking retarded. If you're not going to have a ref force DQs, then don't do things in front of the referee that should force him to DQ. Because then the ref looks feckless and dickless and spineless. Like the AEW refs of today. They trade shots back and forth and Nick hit the scoop slam for a two count. Dory locks in an inside cradle, but they were too close to the ropes. And the time limit expires and it ends in a draw. Nick and Dory shake hands afterwards. No one shakes Gene's hand, and rightfully so. I'm sorry, Gene Kanitsky should not be shaking anyone's hand. I understand Nick and Dory shaking hands because, you know, Gene just stepped in. Dory didn't ask for the help on that one. But if I was Nick, I would not shake Gene Kanitsky's hand. You don't get to break up a pin and stomp on me and then expect me to shake your hand. You can go fuck yourself. And if I was Vern Gagne, I wouldn't have shake this hand either. Doesn't make sense. So now, they shake hands, the match is over, and because of the time limit draw, the match was 15 minutes of our lives. We can't get back. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We got another tag team match here. We have Dustin Rhodes and Kensuke Sasaki versus Rick Rude and Paul Orndorff. Rude grabs the mic and says, Cut the music. 
What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out of shape, inner city sweat hogs, keep your mouth shut while Mr. Wonderful and I take our robes off and show you what a couple of real men are supposed to look like. Hit the music. So they play the music, they take off their robes, and they kind of do some dances and show off the fact that they're big and muscular and good looking and all of that. And of course, the women swoon. And of course, that was Rick Rude's, uh, you know, popular phrase. He would do that everywhere he went. The fat, out of shape line. That's why when his son accepted Rick Rude's Hall of Fame induction, he closed his speech by calling the fans, you know, fat, out of shape, sweat hogs, and you know, standing up and showing appreciation for Rick Rude. And of course, the crowd laughed because they understood that he wasn't really trying to shit on the audience. He was doing an impersonation of his dad, and that was his dad's gimmick. And the Hall of Fame is where you can do stuff like that and you know that's when you're allowed to cheer it as the hall of fame because they're just acknowledging his career and how great of a heel rick rude was so rude and sasaki start things off as rude walks around him and taunts how he looks and then shoves him he does a double bicep pose and then sasaki walks around him shoves him multiple times before launching him into the corner it was a shocking start and i loved it i was not expecting sasaki to be that aggressive or launch him in the corner you're kind of like whoa shit all right this is about to get real sasaki ain't taking no shit Rude kicks him in the gut and clubs him in the back repeatedly. He then does a throat shot and multiple punches before an Irish whip. Sasaki ducks the clothesline and then twists and hyperextends the arm as he cranks on and then lifts him off the ground and then Rude lands on his knees, fights up, and then tags in Paul. Sasaki twists the arm of Paul and hyperextends it, similar to what he did to Rude. He twists the arm and tags in Dustin who works the arm of Paul as he uppercuts him and clubs the back. He puts on a hammerlock and knees him in the kidneys and continues to work the hold. Paul fights up, but Dustin still has arm and wrist control as he tags in Sasaki who clubs the arm of Paul. Sasaki gets a hammerlock and takes Paul down. Sasaki puts his foot through the arm and takes a bump. He then stomps on Paul and then elbows the arm and Paul fights for control as Dustin blind tags himself in and nails Paul with a chop as he goes back to work on the arm. Paul fights to the corner and tags in Rude. They stare each other down and then start exchanging blows in the center of the ring. Dustin shoots him off and hits a back body drop. Dustin hits a right hand and shoots him into the corner. Dustin runs at him and gets booted in the face. Rude hits him with a right hand and Irish whips him into the corner. Rude runs at him and gets booted in the face. Dustin goes for a running knee, but Rude ducks and Dustin goes for flying over the top rope to the floor. Rude slides out of the ring and slams Dustin against the ring apron. Rude distracts Sasaki while Paul slams Dustin against the guardrail multiple times before throwing him back in the ring. Rude hits a swinging net breaker for a two count. Rude then gyrates as Dustin slowly gets up and then Rude forces him into the corner and tags in Paul. They throw Dustin in the corner and then Paul rakes the eyes of Dustin. Paul with the Irish whip and then a back elbow. Paul sl- shoves him into the turnbuckle and tags Rude back in as Rude hits shoulder shots into the midsection and then picks Dustin up for a pile driver, but Dustin stays down and then Rude clubs his back and goes for a tombstone, but Dustin reverses and nails it for a two count. Rude tags in Paul who slams Dustin in the corner and then runs at him only to bump into Dustin as he's coming out of the corner and both men go down. Paul tags in Rude as Dustin rolls to his corner and tags in Sasaki who goes up top and hits a standing flying elbow and then goes to the middle turnbuckle and hits a flying clothesline. Sasaki hits an Irish whip and then an atomic drop. Sasaki gyrates and then bounces off the road and hits multiple clotheslines as Rude begs for his life. Love that a heel isn't too proud to beg. And that's what I love. You know, sometimes, you know, as a, as a heel, it's good to do the, no, please don't hurt me. It's a good way to help get the baby face over a lot easier. Plus, you know, Sasaki mocking Rude is great. It's good to see Sasaki has a little bit of 
of a personality and edge to him because you don't see that a lot from Japanese wrestlers, especially the old school ones. Sasaki with an Irish whip, and then Rude kicks him in the face. Sasaki ducks the clothesline, hits a gorilla press slam. Paul comes in to try to stop it, looks stupid doing it, looks sloppy, which is awful. And then Dustin attacks as Sasaki and Dustin throw Rude and Paul into each other. Paul goes out of the ring onto the ramp. Dustin goes after Paul and rakes his back as Sasaki goes up top waiting for Rude to get up. Paul rakes the eyes of Dustin and then throws Sasaki off the top rope. Rude hits the Rude Awakening for the win. Dustin and Paul were fighting on the outside and Dustin knocks Paul out of the way to try to get back in and break up the pin, but it's too late. So that was happening in the midst of everything else that happened. So Rude hits the Rude Awakening. The heels walk away with a victory. And what I love about this tag match is it was different from the other tag matches that we'd seen like like for example um the first one with scorpio bagwell bobby and benoit that was very much a technical wrestling match thunderbolt patterson and armstrong against ivan and baron that was more you know storytelling psychology more slower paced but still exciting this one was just a knockdown drag him out tag team brawl and fight this felt more like a fight. And that's what I like seeing in these matches is I want to see matches that are different throughout the show. Like, go out there and do something to separate yourself from the pack. Make the matches look different. I don't want to feel like I'm watching a match that looks exactly the same, whether it's done the old school way or the new school way. You know, throw in something to make it a little more different. Throw in something a little more personal to kind of keep everything on edge. I like that. And this match was 9 minutes and 25 seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We've got The Prisoner one-on-one -on -one against Sting. Now, The Prisoner was replacing Scott Norton in this match. Apparently, Scott Norton was supposed to face Sting in this match, and it was supposed to be called a bounty match. Don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know if there was a bounty on Sting's head, but for whatever reason, Scott Norton did not make it, so the prisoner wound up taking his place. And the prisoner, apparently his uh the number on his uh jumpsuit was 902714. So morning, 902714. Beautiful day. So the prisoner is carrying a nightstick to the ring, which I thought was stupid. That's something that a corrections officer, a police officer, should carry a nightstick. The prisoner should not be carrying a nightstick. That looks stupid. Now the ref makes him drop it before he calls for the bell. He does, bell rings, and they lock up. But before we see the lockup, the camera zooms in on the nightstick and then pans up to staying in the prisoner locking up. So I felt like they were foreshadowing the use of it. Like I thought maybe at some point in this match, we would see the prisoner use the nightstick. Like if the prisoner was going to go over, maybe he would use the nightstick to win the match. So I like the fact that they presented a little bit of, you know, an element of surprise to see if that would happen. I'll give one little spoiler here. It did not. Now, the prisoner and Sting start choking each other. Prisoner overpowers Sting and chokes him in the corner before quickly dragging him into the other corner and choking him there. The ref has him break the hold and immediately starts choking again. The ref finally pulls him off and he then uses his boot to choke Sting some more. The ref backs him off again and he goes right back to choking him again. This time with his hand and he is down on his knees as Sting is laying on his back. Now, I like the start of this. You know, they're they're getting right to it. No lockups, no stare downs, no collar elbows, no twisting of the arms. Fuck you, I'm gonna start choking you, motherfucker. I like that. Different starts to the match, different vibe, different feel. This continues for a few more minutes. Prisoner shoots him off and then hits a back elbow and then chokes him again. Prisoner throws him into the corner and irises him into the corner as he punches him and then shoots him into the other corner and then hits a backbreaker for a two count. Prisoner shoots him into the corner and Sting dodges the splash and starts kicking and chopping him, but Prisoner no-sells and responds with shots of his own. But Sting continues to get him in the corner. Prisoner fights out and rakes the eyes. The Prisoner throws Sting out of the ring. Prisoner strangles Sting with a cable wire. The ref 
ref stops it and gets the wire off of Sting's neck. Prisoner grabs the cable wire and tries to hang Sting with it. The ref stops it and Prisoner slams Sting against the ring apron. They get back in the ring and Prisoner Irish whips Sting into the corner and then hits a running knee. Prisoner with an Irish whip, Sting ducks the clothesline and then hits one of his own as he gets a one count. He shoots him off and hits a back body drop. He then shoots him into the corner and hits a stinger splash for a two count. Sting scoop slams him and then goes for an elbow but misses. The prisoner punches Sting in the corner and the ref pulls him off. Prisoner grabs the ref by the collar and backs him off and then turns to a flying clothesline by Sting who pins him for the win. So I'm a little sad the nightstick didn't get used at some point in the match, but I guess if Sting was going over, there was no point in using it. But again, this felt like a fight. I like seeing this because like I said before, we saw so many matches where half of the time it was modified armbar, working the arm, the leg, the hammer lock, a lot of basic shit. So see two guys go out there and go, fuck it, let's fight. I enjoyed that. You didn't see any arm drags. You didn't see any suplexes. You saw two guys fighting each other. And it was an ass whipping. And in the end, Sting was able to overpower the ass whipping and get the win. Beautiful sight to see. And this match was 5 minutes and 16 seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We've got a steel cage match for the NWA and WCW World Tag Team Championships. The Hollywood Blondes defend the titles against Dos Hombres. Now, Dos Hombres consisted of Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. That was the tag team. However, Shane wasn't at this show. I don't know why he wasn't at this show, but apparently he was replaced by Tom Zank. But they didn't tell the audience that it was Tom Zank. They had you believing that it was still Shane Douglas because Dos Hombres came out in like red sweaters, like a sweatshirt, sweatpants thing, and they had these luchador masks on that were like black and green and whatever. And I have no idea why they did this, but it feels very racist. I'm not gonna lie. This this is weird. I don't know why the fuck this Dos Hombres thing is happening. I don't know what storyline happened. I don't know if this is similar to the uh, Los Conquistadors thing that happened a while back. With Edge and Christian, or the one that uh, Kurt Angle did in disguise, or Punk did in disguise. Like, this is, I don't know why, it just feels stupid. This really feels stupid. So Steamboat grabs the mic and says, Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Dos Hombres. We feel these outfits have given us such good luck that tonight we're going to make it two in a row and win the World Tag Team Championships. Again, this is fucking weird. Austin and whoever start things off, and it's weird that there's tagging in a cage and that we don't know who the fuck is who. So this is the thing that I still find kind of weird. And even during Star K85, I thought it was odd. I'm watching a tag team cage match that has tagging in it. Because usually when you see tag teams at a cage match, it's a tornado tag with everyone fighting in the cage. Why am I seeing people having to tag in and out in a steel cage? That makes no fucking sense to me. Then again, this is also during a time where there's pinfall submission and no option to escape the cage, which obviously would make Gator happy. And I also don't like knowing who the fuck is who in this match. Like, we don't know. Because the Dos Hombres look exactly the fucking same. Austin kicks him in the gut, slams him in the turnbuckle. Austin hits a snapmare and goes to rip the mask off. The masked man starts chopping him with a vicious right hand. And now we know the legal man is Steamboat because of the way he chops. Because again, in addition to Wahoo McDaniel and Ric Flair, Steamboat is also known for his chops. So the moment we started seeing the chops, the announcers were like, oh, that's Ricky Steamboat. And, and thanks to the announcers, and at that moment, we are now able to follow the match and see who's tagging in and out. Unless you blink. If you blink, you fucking don't know what's going on. 
Austin tags in Pillman, who gets hit with a drop toe hold and modified armbar. Pillman fights out, chops Steamboat, who responds with a chop of his own. He then chops Pillman again and shoots him off, and Pillman with a kick to the gut, and then tries to slam Steamboat into the cage, but he blocks it and tries to slam Pillman, but he blocks it. Pillman fights out and goes to his corner to talk strategy with Austin. Pillman knees Steamboat in the gut and clubs his back. Pillman gets a side headlock, and Steamboat shoots him off and then nails a hip toss into a modified armbar. Pillman fights out and rakes the eyes before tagging in Austin, who runs at Steamboat, gets hit with a hip toss, armbar, and then tags in Zank, who comes off the second rope and clubs the arm. Zank works and wrenches the arm and gets a hammerlock and takes Austin down. Austin slaps the mat. I still say that should be a tap out. That I'm not happy about, where apparently back then, you didn't do tap outs. You had to actually scream that you gave up or whatever. Bullshit. I want to see a tap out. If you're smacking the mat, you're tapping out. So that looks stupid to me. Austin fights up and goes for a snapmare, but Zank holds on and knees him in the back. Zank now has an armbar as Austin shoots him off and kicks him in the midsection and then goes to slam him into the cage, but Austin blocks it. Then Austin goes through the ropes to grab the front of his face and Zank slams him into the cage repeatedly. Austin falls through the ropes and rolls around the ground while Zank does some weird dance. What the fuck is this? I don't know if they're doing the Mexican hat dance or something like that, but either way, still, this looks racist. Steamboat tags in Zank with a double axe handle. Zank goes after Austin, but Austin dots the eyes, knees him in the gut, and slams him face first into Pillman's boot. Austin then tags in Pillman, who picks up Zank and slams him into the turnbuckle. He shoots him off, Zank reverses, and Pillman hops up on the second rope and leaps off, and Zank drops down, and Pillman lands in front of him. That was a believable spot. I like that spot. It looked believable, it was well done, and everything was timed perfectly. Zank hits a gut shot, and then Pillman palms him in the eye, and then chokes him until the ref breaks it up. Pillman hits a snapmare, misses an elbow drop, and then Zank hits a hip toss and puts on an arm bar before tagging in Steamboat. Steamboat hits a gut shot and then works the arm. Pillman fights up and hits a knee to the gut and clubs him in the back. Pillman shoots him off, Steamboat reverses, drops down, and then does a gorilla press into the cage. Pillman begs and backs up and then pulls Steamboat into the corner. Then he tags in Austin and Austin goes for a scoop slam but can't get him up because of his back and Steamboat hits a vicious clothesline and then suplexes him to where he is in the tree of woe against the cage. Steamboat then does the Hollywood Blondes taunt, the filming thing, and then splashes into Austin. He then tags in Zank who shoots him off, Steamboat reverses and does a crossbody onto Austin who falls off the cage before Steamboat can get to him and they both hit the floor. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, was a major sad botch because Steamboat didn't hit nothing. Austin hit the ground too late. Just that looked bad. Looked horrible. Not so well done. Pillman gets tagged in and nails a jawbreaker on Zank and then chokes him with his boot. He then traps his neck against the bottom rope and then stomps on him some more. Pillman gets a front face lock and tags in Austin who kicks Zank in the gut. Austin does the Hollywood Blondes taunt and then stomps and chops Zank. Austin shoots him off and hits a vicious back elbow. Austin hits a snapmare and then comes off the top with a forearm for a two count. Austin gets Zank in the corner and beats him and beats down on him and then tags in Pillman who chops and beats down on him and then tags in Austin who dishes out another beating with punches, chops, and elbows. Pillman chokes Zank with a vest. The ref is distracted during this time. I don't know why the ref is distracted. This is a fucking cage match. And then Austin goes to recover but Zank's foot is on the ropes. Why are there rope breaks in a cage match? This is a cage match. Should be no DQ. No rope break. Fuck is wrong with this? Austin tags in Pillman who stomps on Zank and then hits a snapmare. Pillman goes to the middle rope and goes for a splash, but Zank gets the boot up. 
Pillman then tags in Austin, who cuts off the tag from Zank. Steamboat, Austin chops him and shoots him off. Zank reverses, and Austin hits a tackle, bounces off the ropes. Zank drops down, then gets up and hits a drop kick. Austin gets up and walks into a punch by Steamboat, and then multiple right hands by Zank. He then turns around and knocks out Pillman. Zank dives for the tag, but Austin picks him up and hits a spine buster. Austin with a scoop slam and tags in Pillman, and Austin throws him off for the Atomic Blonde, but Zank gets the knees up. The Atomic Blonde is like him launching him off the rope and going for a big splash. It's called the Atomic Blonde. Pillman goes and tags in Austin. Zank makes the hot tag to Steamboat, and Austin gets scared. Steamboat hits double chops and then throws him into the cage. Pillman comes in, and Steamboat does the same to him. Austin tries to climb out, but Steamboat stops him, hits an electric chair drop, and then shakes the ropes and crotches Pillman. Steamboat then does meeting of the minds, dos hombres, chop, and do the ten punches to the Hollywood Blondes in separate corners. They then shoot them off into each other. Pillman sends Zank into the cage as Steamboat sends Austin into the cage. Pillman do- did a reversal, though. Steamboat drop kicks Pillman and then goes to the top rope and takes off his mask. Steamboat goes to the top of the cage and hits a crossbody on the Hollywood Blondes for a two count. They waited too long to jump. It looked phony. I'm sorry. Steamboat waited way too long. This, the, the Blondes got in great position for that spot, but Steamboat waited too long. So this is Steamboat's fault on this one because the Blondes were selling it perfectly, but Steamboat waited way too long and it looked phony. The ref gets distracted by someone ringing the bell. Steamboat hits a DDT and gets another two count. He then DDTs Pillman and gets a two count. Dos Hombres shoot them off and hit stereo drop kicks and both get two counts. Steamboat has Austin in one corner and Zank has Pillman in the other corner. They shoot them off but Pillman reverses. Austin catches Zank and nails the stun gun for the win. And Pillman hits Steamboat with a DDT so he couldn't break up the pin. So he's hitting the DDT while the ref gets into position to count the one, two, three. The winners and still champs. The Hollywood Blondes. Overall, this is a good tag team match. Like I said, there were a lot of aspects of it that made it wonky for me. You know, like I'm not a fan of a lot of the stipulations but still a good match nonetheless. Although it was kind of weird to see a cage match that's old school that doesn't have blood in it. Then again, WCW doesn't really do a lot of blood. In fact, I'm going to give more on that later. But let's just say overall, good tag team match, solid wrestling from everyone involved. And the cage definitely made it different. And the match was 16 minutes and 8 seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening for the NWA World Heavyweight title. Barry Windham defends the title against Arn Anderson. Now, as we know from the Super Bowl three recap, Barry Windham won this title by defeating the Great Muda. So this is Barry Windham's first title defense. And he's defending it against Arn Anderson. They lock up and Arn gets a side headlock. And Barry shoots him off and Arn hits a tackle and goes for a cover. But Barry kicks out before the ref can count. They lock up and Arn gets a side headlock again. Barry shoots him off, leapfrogs, and turns into a belly-to-belly suplex from Arn for a two count. They lock up and Barry kicks him in the gut. Chops the back of his head and then punches him in the corner. Barry shoots him off, Arn reverses and sends Barry into the other corner, and then hits a back body drop for another two count. Barry gets up and slaps Arn. Barry chops him, and then Arn ducks a punch, hits one of his own, and then nails a DDT for a two count. Barry rolls out of the ring, onto the ramp. Arn goes after Barry, and Barry pulls him out onto the ramp. Barry hits a stiff right hand and gets back in the ring. Arn hits a shoulder shot, goes for another one, but Barry knees him in the face. Barry goes to slam into the turnbuckle, but Arn blocks it and slams him into the turnbuckle. Arn goes up top with a double axe handle, but Barry hits him with a clothesline. Barry picks him up and nails a DDT. He drops an elbow for a two count. Barry throws Arn out of the ring and then goes out after him. Barry hits him with an elbow and then goes back into the ring. Arn gets on the apron and Barry hits a right hand and then tries to jerk him into the ring, but Arn pulls down the rope and Barry goes over the top onto the floor. Once again, it's not 
on a DQ because Arn didn't throw him over the top rope. Barry fell over. Different situation. Arn slams him against the guardrail and then hits him with a hard right hand and then he goes back into the ring. Now at this point, Barry is now busted open. Barry is bleeding. Barry's got color. But since this is for the NWA world title, the match is under NWA rules. Because apparently, according to Tony Schiavone, WCW rules dictate that blood is a disqualification, which explains why we didn't see any blood in the cage match. Although technically, it was for the NWA and WCW world titles, because apparently they unified those belts because the Blondes only came out with one set of titles. But in this case, blood is allowed. In that case, I think blood, they might have been able to get away with it, but they didn't do it. But apparently in WCW, blood is a DQ. So for all the people that give WWE shit because they don't allow a lot of bloodshed, WCW, they didn't allow any bloodshed either. So it's not like they were any better. But they were able to get away with it here because it's NWA rules. Because NWA, they didn't care about blood, as Stark 85 would have told you. It was blood galore in that fucking pay-per-view. Way too much. Arn grinds his face against the ropes. Barry's face. Barry cowers into the corner and Arn stomps on him and hits a left hand and then goes for an inside cradle and gets a two count. Arn hits a snapmare and starts punching him in the head and opening him up some more. Arn locks in a chin lock. Barry fights up and Arn hits a snapmare. Arn goes up top and Barry hits a drop kick and knocks Arn to the floor. Arn gets back in the ring and Barry goes up top and hits a flying clothesline. Barry does a knee drop on the back of Arn's head and gets a two count. Arn hits a shot to the ribs and then nails an uppercut. Arn gets up and clubs his back and goes for a suplex, but Barry blocks it and hits one of his own and quickly gets a cover, but only a two count. The transition was so smooth, I thought it was a jackhammer for a second. I had to rewind it back and go, holy shit, did he do the jackhammer? No, it's just that when he hit the suplex, he immediately flipped right over into the pin. Like immediately, like a good transition. Barry picks him up and hits a right hand, sending Arn against the ropes and shoots him off. Arn reverses and hits a spine buster. Barry rolls out of the ring to avoid being pinned. The spine buster is Arn's finisher, so that works. Because Arn Anderson was the master of the spine buster. That was his finisher. So it made sense for him to roll out of the ring because kicking out of the spine buster would hurt the finish. And back then, as we, as I mentioned many, many times before, wrestlers protected their finish. Very much so. Barry grabs his belt and leaves up the ramp. The ref backs up Arn, and Arn throws him out of the way. Arn goes up the ramp after Barry. Arn chops him and then throws him back in the ring. Arn throws him in the corner. It's a series of right hands. The ref tries to back him down, but Arn throws him out of the way. And again, the ref is being manhandled. Why is no one being disqualified? This is stupid. Barry grabs the belt and knocks him out. The ref comes to and counts the fall because he didn't see Barry use the belt because when he threw the ref, the ref was out. So at least the ref sold properly, but the spot shouldn't have been done in the first place. But in the end, Barry Windham retains the title. So overall, this is a very good match. Very violent, bloody. It was a fight. Again, it felt different from the other matches we saw earlier in the night. And it was one of the rare moments where Arn Anderson's competing for a world title. Because as Dusty Rhodes used to say all the time, Arn Anderson was nothing more than a walk behind This was his chance to stop walking behind and become a leader. And that didn't happen, baby. Which is why his view never changes, baby. His view never changes, baby. His view never changes. And this match was 10 minutes and 55 seconds. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the main event of the evening for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Big Van Vader with Harley Race defends the title against Davey Boy Smith. They lock up and Vader shoves him off. They lock up and Vader shoves him off again. Vader pulls him in for a clothesline and Bulldog didn't even flinch. That was epic because I wasn't expecting that. I didn't expect Bulldog to be one of those big men that Vader can't knock over. So the fact that Bulldog just kind of stood there like, what, motherfucker? That was pretty good. They lock up and Vader punches him, bounces off the ropes, hits a body blow, and Bulldog just bounces off the ropes, stares him down unfazed, and does a double bicep pose. 
And at that point, I was like, oh, this shit's getting real. This is getting real, ladies and gentlemen. Because at this moment, we're about to realize Bulldog ain't no pushover, and this is going to be a fucking fight. They lock up, and Vader forces him into the corner and starts wailing on him. The ref backs him off, and Bulldog comes out of the corner and drops to one knee. Vader chokes Bulldog on the apron, and he rolls onto the floor. The ref backs him up, and while he's distracted, Harley hits a right hand to Bulldog, and he falls against the guardrail. Vader rolls out of the ring and goes for a splash, but Bulldog rolls out of the way, and Vader lands on and flips over the guardrail. Thank God he didn't hit the old lady. That was my first thought in that. Now, as a wrestling fan, your first thought is, oh, shit, he went over the guardrail. When you work in the business, you see it differently. Now, I'm thinking, if he'd hit that old lady, that'd have been a lawsuit. So, I don't know if that was a smart spot. Vader tries to climb back over, and Bulldog lifts him up and carries him to the mat and slams him. Beautiful test of strength right there. That shows you the British Bulldog. He's a strong motherfucker. That was a very good spot. Bulldog celebrates in the ring while Harley helps Vader up to get back in the ring. Bulldog hits a series of punches then hits a stalling vertical suplex. Amazing showing of strength. Like, that was the highlight of this match was Bulldog showing the world how strong he really is and that he is way stronger than he actually looks. Bulldog runs at him, but Vader gets the boot up and goes to the second rope, but Bulldog catches him with a power slam. And then Vader gets up, and Bulldog knocks him over the top rope. He celebrates with the crowd. Why is this not a DQ? He knocked him over the top rope. Why is that not a DQ? Is it only throwing him? Because right here, this isn't him falling over on his own accord or being back body dropped. This is literally, I clotheslined you, and your ass went over the top rope. That should be a DQ. Bulldog ducks the clothesline and goes for a crucifix pin, but Vader counters with a Samoan drop. Vader drops an elbow onto the thigh. It was almost a low blow, but it wasn't. Vader drops an elbow onto the midsection. Vader drives Bulldog over the corner, and Vader hits the Vader bomb from the second rope and gets a two count. That should have been the finish. That should have been the finish. Vader picks him up and punches him repeatedly. He then kicks him in the ribs. Vader hits a scoop slam. Vader hits a body blow off the top rope. Vader hits a series of punches in the corner. Vader picks up Bulldog and sets him on the top turnbuckle. Vader climbs up and goes for a superplex, but Bulldog fights out and hits an inverted suplex and then a diving headbutt. Bulldog hits some weird move and gets a two count. It looked like an atomic drop, but it wasn't one. I don't know what the fuck that was. I couldn't even describe it to you. That's the best way to describe it. Vader hits his vicious clothesline. Vader picks him up and punches him against the ropes and shoots him off. Bulldog goes for a sunset flip but Vader blocks it and goes for a sit down but Bulldog moves out of the way and Vader lands on his ass on the canvas. Vader then knocks down Bulldog and then hits a snapmare. Vader goes up top and nails a splash. Vader is hurt but still gets a boot up to take down Bulldog. Both men get up and Vader sends Bulldog out of the ring and Harley drops a knee on him while the ref checks on Vader. Bulldog gets back in the ring and Vader hits some heavy fists. Vader hits a scoop slam and then a sit down splash. Vader gets a chin lock. Bulldog fights up and hits an electric chair drop. Freakish strength again right here. Again, Bulldog just showing how fucking strong he really is. Bulldog has a clothesline, a series of punches, another clothesline for a two count. Bulldog puts Vader in the corner and shoots him off. Vader reverses and goes for a splash in the corner, but Bulldog catches him and hits the power slam. He goes for the cover, but Harley pulls him out of the ring and starts punching him, and then Bulldog starts beating down on him, and Vader grabs a normal chair, not a folding one, and hits Bulldog in the back with it, causing a DQ. And I wrote, DQ is an FU on pay-per-view. Which I know sounds weird. I mentioned before about the thing should have been a DQ. Here's the thing. I don't normally like DQs in pay-per-views. I don't like them. But if something happens that is clearly a DQ and the ref can clearly see it, then him not calling for the DQ makes the match look fake. Unless you try to wave it off by saying it's the referee's discretion 
then that's a way of waving it off. But the commentators never did that. So that should have been a DQ. But a DQ in general is an FU on pay-per-view, especially with the main event. That was fucking dumb. Now, eventually, Bagwell comes out and gets leveled. And then Scorpio comes out and gets launched out of the ring. Sting comes out just as Vader is getting a pile driver or a powerbomb to, powerbomb to Bulldog. Like he's about to give him a pile driver or a powerbomb. Sting comes out. It's a flying clothesline. And that causes Vader to retreat up the ramp. And then everybody goes and checks on Bulldog. So, overall, this is a good match. It was a fight. It was amazing. But Bulldog definitely looked amazing even in defeat. He really did. Because he showcased, again, his strength. Like, you can look at Bulldog and tell that he's strong. But I didn't realize how strong he really was until I saw everything that he did to Vader. From the suplexes, the slams, the electric chair drop. Just all of it is showing that Bulldog is a legit badass. And definitely deserved to be a world champion. Vader, of course, showing off how great he is. So, both these men brought the fight. It was a stellar main event. Very entertaining to watch. Didn't like the DQ. But other than that, there wasn't too much really to complain about in this match. Other than a moment where something should have been the finish or should have been the DQ or an old lady almost getting hit. But as far as the wrestlers themselves, their work was impeccable. And this match was 16 minutes and 16 seconds. And wrapped up a legendary pay-per-view. So I would highly recommend this to people who are fans of old school wrestling. If you like seeing legends on TV, or pay-per-view I should say, this is the one for you. Especially if you love Southern wrestling. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this episode of the Boochcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash TheBoochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Uh, make sure you guys check out the male soap opera moment. Check out our recap of the Royal Rumble. Sadly, due to scheduling conflicts, we are not going to have uh, a video showing predictions for the Elimination Chamber, but we do plan on testing each other our predictions, and I'll put some tweets out and shit like that on my personal Twitter page. So go follow us or me at Vince Bucci. Follow the Wens at Wens World Radio. Follow Desmond at Demescalon. Uh, you'll see it in any of my tweets. I have his Twitter handle there. But that's why we're posting the predictions. But the recap of the Elimination Chamber will definitely be coming to the Boochcast Facebook page. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. We've got the uh, Dark Side of the Ring videos coming out to you guys later this week. Uh, the Tragic Fall of Adrian Adonis is going to drop on the YouTube channel. Uh, after that, we've got uh, Abdul the Butcher. Bam Bam Bigelow. I got the Bash of the Beach video ready to go. I'm actually working on the audio version of it because we have an audio recap of Bash of the Beach 2000. They'll be coming out that same day here on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. But the YouTube video will be on the YouTube channel. We also got Dark Side of the 2000s coming soon, Dark Side of Comedy coming soon, hopefully Dark Side of Football, and with Season 5 of Dark Side of the Ring starting soon, we're also hoping to get those out to you guys as well as I'm hoping to record and edit in a more timely manner going forward. And of course, you can also follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, April 6th and Sunday, April 7th for nights 1 and 2 of Wrestlemania 40. Make sure you join us for the 40th anniversary of the biggest wrestling show of the year. The show will be on for two nights. We'll be live streaming for two nights. 
and we hope you guys will join us as the road to WrestleMania is getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And the crazier it gets, the more excited we get in the hopes that there will be a great payoff in the midst of the storylines leading up to this big event. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, no special project in the works. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold it to Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. So it's at $9.99. Bring it over here. We got better content in the network. And unlike the Elite, we actually care about our fans. are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes it'll be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid and until next time this is Vinny Bucci aka the Booch saying keep on living life and take care this has been the Booch cast talk to you guys next time until then pizza baby well I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye goodbye so long so long farewell farewell adieu adieu be good stay well bye bye keep warm relax and eat take care stay loose adieu mon vieux à la prochaine goodbye till when we meet again